podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast. It is Monday, the 24th of April. Hope you all had a nice weekend. We had a very, very strange weekend of Premier League action. So let's dive right in. Friday night, Arsenal 3, Southampton 3. A game in which both teams really lost. If before the game you'd said to Southampton, you can take a point and go home. They would have taken the point and ran home. But given how the game played out, there's no question they'll be disappointed. Saints go one up on one minute. It's a horrendous mistake by Aaron Ramsdale. Gifts the ball to Carlos Alcaraz on the edge of his own box. Alcaraz finishes really well. 1-0 Southampton. On 14 minutes, Alcaraz has the ball inside the Arsenal half. Spots the run of Walcott. Lovely pass in behind Gabriel. Walcott runs on, finishes first time. A lot of people tried to blame Zinchenko for that goal, but Alcaraz just shows that the issue there is Gabriel's lack of awareness. Because it's the only pass he can play, and I'm not sure Gabriel knows where Walcott is. 2-0. Saints off to a flyer, but you're still thinking Arsenal will win this game. This will be like the Bournemouth game again. And on 20 minutes, they're back in it. Good work by Saka. Feeds it across, and Martinelli makes it 2-0. Sorry, 2-1. Now, Martinelli gets really lucky to stay on the pitch, in my view. 32 minutes in. No, 36 minutes in or so. There's a high ball played down the Arsenal left, Southampton's right. And Bednarak comes across to deal with it. Martinelli makes absolutely no effort to play the ball. He spots Bednarak and he does that Harry Kane back in. But it's it's worse than what Kane does because he does it from about six, seven yards away. He crouches over. And leads himself in that way. Kane tends to get right up against you. And then sort of tilt himself forward. To send you over the top. This was more blatant and more uh, calculated. Bednarak has to go off. Because he lands like. He lands on his head and his shoulder. And he falls like an accordion. And he gets a concussion. And he has to go off. And Duje Coletta Carr has to come on. He would have a big impact on this game. On 66 minutes. It's a Southampton set piece. Ward-Prowse flicks, uh, puts it in. Belikotchup heads it on at the front post. And Coletticar is at the back post to head home. 3-1 Southampton. And at this stage, Arsenal really looked ragged. It stayed that way up until the 88 minute. But a key thing on 84, was it maybe a little bit earlier? I think it was 84 minutes. It might have been a couple minutes earlier. Ruben Sellers takes off Romeo Lavia. And Lavia had been outstanding in that holding midfield role for the Saints. 
On 88, Mark Nodegaard has a lovely bit of interplay with Ben White at the edge of the Southampton box, gets it onto his left foot and just whips it into the far corner. It's a gorgeous goal by Odegaard. 3-2 and now we have a grandstand finish. Two minutes later, Enketia gets a shot away. Basuna makes a good save. Bella Kotchup slips, which allows the ball to fall to Saka. And Saka finishes its 3-3. We somehow get eight minutes of stoppage time, which ended up being ten minutes of stoppage time. And it was all Arsenal. Trossard hit the crossbar. They had a couple of other half chances. But Southampton managed to hold on. Like I say, if you'd given them a point before the game, they'd have been thrilled. But when you're 3-1 up with two minutes plus stoppage time left and you manage to let that slip, that's a big disappointment. For Arsenal, though, this draw is as bad as a defeat because this was a must-win game for them after back-to-back draws where they threw away 2-0 leads to Liverpool and West Ham to then turn round and draw at home with the side bottom of the league is very, very concerning for them. They're five points clear. They have six games left, but City have eight games left. And Arsenal's run-in is pretty difficult. Like, the next four games are all going to be tough. They get City on Wednesday night. That is going to be hellacious. Then it's Chelsea on a Tuesday night at home. That'll be tough. Chelsea won't just turn up and roll over. Chelsea always, always, always cause Arsenal problems. Then they have to go to Newcastle, which is going to be a very, very tough place to go and win. Then it's Brighton at home, which is really tough. Then they go away to Forest and home to Wolves to end the season. But I said I thought April would be the time that Arsenal would fold. And as things stand, Arsenal are folding. If City beat them next Wednesday, sorry, this Wednesday, two days from now, If City beat them, then City are going to be two points behind with two games in hand. Meaning City could win one and lose one. They could draw both. If City beat Arsenal, it is City's title to lose. And given that game is at the Etihad, you would expect that City will beat Arsenal. Moving on then into Saturday's games. Fulham 2, Leeds 1. Fairly dull first half. Harry Wilson makes it 1-0 to Fulham on 58 minutes. Cross into the box that Melier doesn't really have to come for. And he sort of flaps at it. And it lands to Harry Wilson. And he lashes home. It's 1-0 to Fulham. It's 2-0 to Fulham on 72 Robinson flashes across in from the left. Melier comes out. Again, it's a flap. Now, he does the right thing, but he needs to be punching that ball. As he's diving, he needs to punch that ball clear. Instead, he just sort of palms it down. It lands to Pereira, almost hits him and bounces in. It hits him, lands in front of him, taps home. 2-0. 
Patrick Bamford did man- manage to bundle one back for Leeds on 79. I think it was given as a Joe Polinia own goal. But no question, Fulham deserved the win in this one. And what that means for Fulham is that they are now ninth on 45 points. They are six points clear of Chelsea with seven games left each, which gives them a really, really strong chance of finishing above Chelsea this season. And forgetting the fact that Chelsea are having an awful season, that would be a huge achievement for Fulham. It really would be a huge achievement for Fulham. They're looking very good money for a top-half finish, which in your first season back in the Premier League is a great achievement. For Leeds, they're now one point clear of the relegation zone. It's three defeats in a row, four and five. They just look a little bit hopeless. The hope that they can have is that there are teams below them who are worse. And that's about the only thing keeping Leeds afloat right now. But the group at the bottom is rapidly shrinking from the nine it was a few weeks ago. And we'll get into that a few, in, in a few minutes. Um, Crystal Palace nil, Everton nil. It's a better point for Palace than for Everton at this point of the season. Uh, Palace have now taken 10 points from the last four games. They're up to 37 points. They're nine points clear of the relegation zone. So looking very much like a team that will be in the Premier League next season. Everton drop into the bottom three because of the way other results went. No wins in their last five. They needed a win in this one. Everton in the bottom three on goal difference behind Leicester. Only a point ahead of Forest and four points ahead of Southampton. And Everton's run-in is difficult. Newcastle next. Then trip to Leicester. A trip to Brighton. Man City home, a trip to Wolves and Bournemouth. Those last two games might not mean anything because those teams might be safe and maybe Everton can sneak wins if those teams are on the beach. But the next four are massive and personally, I don't see them taking more than one point from these four games. I think maybe they could go and get something at Leicester, but I think Newcastle beat them, I think City beat them And I think Brighton will beat them down on the south coast. So they're going to have to try and get more than what I think they will over the next four games, or they're going to be in serious trouble going into those last two games. And two wins in those last two might not be enough to save them. Um, Moving on then, Liverpool 3, Nottingham Forest 2. Liverpool made hard work of this. Uh, Jota scored on 47. The first half, Liverpool dominated the ball. They had 75% of possession and created nothing from open play. And in truth, in the 90-odd minutes that were played, the only real chance I can think of from open play was when Ibu Kanate picked the ball up on the halfway line, stepped into the forest half and lofted a lovely ball towards Jota, who forced a good save at a Kaylor Navas. That was midway through the second half. I can't think of another good chance they created in open play. In the first half, Van Dijk had a header that was well saved. Jota missed a sitter. And Cody Gakpo had one cleared off the line. They all came from set pieces. 47 minutes in, Jota opens the scoring. It's a corner from Liverpool. 
into the box, hits Niakata and sort of bounces back across the box. Fabinho heads towards goal and Jota redirects into the back of the net 1-0 to Liverpool. Liverpool gets sloppy and four months later it's 1-1. Throw into Forrest down there left, Liverpool's right. Liverpool like sheep in a heap all bunched to one side of the field. Morgan Gibbs White picks the ball up, drives centrally, nobody there to make a challenge. Lays on the perfect ball for Nico Williams to stride on and hit it first time. It takes a deflection of Andy Robertson, which wrong foots Allison and sends it into the back of the net. I think without the deflection, it probably ends up in the bottom corner on the other side. But the deflection obviously played its part. Um, four minutes later, Liverpool respond well and are back in front. Again, it's Diogo Jota, but this is horrendous defending from Nottingham Forest. It's a Liverpool free kick in the inside left channel. Andy Robertson clips it into Jota. There is nobody within three yards of him. He takes a touch on his chest, another on his knee, and just as he volleys it, the first bit of contact comes in, but not in time, and he sends it into the bottom corner. It is 2-1 to Liverpool. Again, Liverpool gets sloppy, and on 67 minutes, Forest are level again. It's a Forest corner. Darwin Nunes realises that Gibbs White is one of the danger players and picks him up in the box. Captain Fantastic Jordan Henderson rushes across and tells Nunes to go and pick up somebody else in case there's a short corner. Nunes goes to do that. Henderson, therefore, is, you would imagine, taking on the responsibility of marking Morgan Gibbs White. Instead, he goes and stands quite close to Joe Worrell, but just before the corner is taken, he runs away from Joe Worrell, leaving Joe Worrell to be marked by five foot nine inch Thiago Alcantara. The ball falls to Gibbs White, who Henderson should have picked up by now. He makes a half-hearted attempt to get out to him and then doesn't make any real attempt to block, almost turns himself away to avoid getting hit by the ball. It takes a deflection and into the back of the net it goes all while Jordan Henderson turns around looking for someone to blame for his own mistakes and unwillingness to do his job. But that's neither here nor there, because three minutes later, Liverpool are back in front for the final time. It's another assist from Trent Alexander-Arnold from another set piece. Free kick, beautifully delivered. Salah meets it first time while wearing a Nottingham Forest defender as a dinner jacket and finds the bottom corner. Lovely goal. 3-2 3-2 to Liverpool. Forrest did almost equalise for a third time, but the game played out as it played out. Liverpool had 82% of the possession, had six chances on six shots on target. Um, all bar one of them from a set piece, whereas Forrest had 18% of the possession and managed five shots on target, which will tell you which team used the ball better than the other. Liverpool just wasted so much ball during that game. It was untrue. Uh, Liverpool now are seventh in the league. They're a point behind Aston Villa with the game in hand. They're three behind Spurs with the game in hand and a better goal difference than both. So if Liverpool win their game in hand, they will go into fifth in the league. Now, they do have Spurs and Villa to play this season as well, both at Anfield. So, They'll be looking for the three points. Liverpool are setting themselves up 
for a fifth place finish here and maybe just maybe to capitalize if man united manage to soil themselves as we move towards the end of the season um for forest they are now second from bottom it's four defeats in a row and it's a pretty tough run in that they've got facing them they got brighton during the week maybe they get brighton feeling leggy after what happened yesterday maybe they can take advantage of that but we'll wait and see then they get brentford then they've got to beat southampton and then the hope they have is the crystal palace won't turn up on the final day of the season so it's not over they're still in, in with a fight but it is a tough running that they're facing uh moving on brentford won villa won a fairly nondescript first half ivan tony had the only real chance. Uh, One notable thing that took place in this game was Emi Martinez having to go off with what you would assume to be an injury, uh, which is a huge, huge blow for Villa because he has been probably their best player. Probably their best player this season. He went off at halftime. I assume it's an injury. Uh, Kevin Shade missed a sitter. After a mess from Robin Olsen, who came on to replace Martinez. But then Ivan Tony put Brentford one up on 65. Douglas Louise equalised in 87. Villa keep this good unbeaten run going. And it was a deserved point, to be fair, because they did keep battling. Jacob Ramsey probably should have scored for them a little bit earlier. But all things considered, draw definitely the fair result. Uh, like I say, Villa are sixth. Brentford are tenth. Top half. Five points clear of Chelsea, who are 11th. All Brentford need to do is survive. They have survived. This season is, therefore, a success for them. And that draw does end a three-game losing streak, so they'll be happy about that as well. The final game on Saturday was Leicester 2, Wolves 1. Matthias Cunha put Wolves 1 up on 13 minutes, and you just thought, that's it, that's game over, because Leicester will fold here. But Ian Acho scored from the penalty spot on 37 minutes after Jose Sa brought down Vardy. Seemed to slip and just kind of bundle into him, but it was definitely a penalty. Um, really well dispatched by Ian Acho. And then a really nice move from Leicester uh, that involved Sumare and Christensen. Good cutback into the box and Castanier arriving from right back. Really good run, really good first time finish. Great goal. All things considered, Leicester deserving of the win, and it's a huge win for them. It lifts them out of the bottom three. They're now in 17th place, though they are level on points with Everton. They've just got a better goal difference. Despite having a far worse defensive record, they've scored far more goals than Everton this season, and and that goal-scoring ability is what's going to keep them up if they are to stay up. Wolves will be disappointed. This was an opportunity for Wolves, having won back-to-back games and seven points from three games. It was an opportunity for them to keep that momentum going and potentially pretty much secure um, survival at the weekend. But they were unable to uh, to get the job done. They'll get another shot tomorrow night when they take on Crystal Palace. And they've also obviously got Everton to play. Now, depending on how their games go in the three between those games, which are Brighton away, Villa at home, and United away, that Everton game might be critical for Wolves just to ensure that they stay up. 
So that could be bad news for Everton as well. It all will depend on how results around them go. Uh, moving into Sunday then, Bournemouth nil, West Ham 4. West Ham were 2 up within 12 minutes and Bournemouth looked shell-shocked. Antonio with a header on 5 minutes. Paqueta with a header on 12 minutes. Declan Rice made it 3 just before half-time. Um, his shot took a bit of a deflection. Whether it was going in or not, I don't know. But in it went. And 3-0 to the Hammers at half-time. Pablo Fornals made it 4 on 72 minutes with... I don't even know how to describe this. It's a really good West Ham move. And the cross comes in. It's over Rice's head. It's behind Fornals, who I don't think can judge the flight of it because Rice is in his eye line. But he readjusts really well. And it's almost like a scorpion kick. And it kind of bounces into the net. It, it, it goes in looking unimpressive. But I, I do think running at full speed, that is a pretty impressive finish. Uh, Bournemouth were pretty poor in this game, must be said. They had a couple of opportunities. They pulled a couple of good saves out of Fabianski. But all in all, I think they'll be very, very disappointed with how they reacted to going behind. And we saw further evidence that, you know, Jack Stevens and Adam Smith can't play in this division. Um, why Chris Metham started, I have no idea. Because Sinisi and Zabarni are on the bench and they're both far better than Metham and Stevens, and I would hope that in the next game that Bournemouth play, we will see them play their best defence and not these championship level players. Uh, good win for West Ham, moves them all the way up into 13th. Three wins in their last five, they seem to have finally woken up that there's a Premier League season going on. They're now six points clear of the relegation zone. They also have a game in hand on the teams below them, so West Ham should be okay. Like with Palace, they should be okay. I think Wolves will probably be okay. And Bournemouth on 33 points are five points clear of that relegation zone. So they're in good shape to stay up as well. And looking at Bournemouth's run-in, Southampton away is next. That's massive. Then Leeds at home, huge. Then it's Chelsea at home. Who knows what Chelsea turn up. Palace should be safe by then. A draw will suit both teams. Then it's United who might need the three points for top four. And then it's that Everton game on the final day. And we'll just wait and see how that comes about and what situation both teams are in. Maybe both teams are safe. Maybe both teams only need a point. Or maybe one team needs points more than the other. But both teams need something. So we might get to a situation where Bournemouth maybe need a point and Everton need three. Who knows? It's going to be very, very tight down there at the bottom. The final game then in the Premier League was Newcastle 6, Spurs 1. And the first 21 minutes of this game was everything Eddie Howe ever dreamed of his team being. On two minutes, Jacob Murphy puts them one up. On six minutes, Jolington doubles the lead. These are not really fantastically crafted goals. These are spotting the big defensive deficiencies in the Spurs team, which we'll get to, and exploiting them. Uh, the Jolington one is so simple. It's, it's beautiful in its simplicity. Nine minutes, it's Murphy again. This is a great goal. Picks, wins the ball back 25 yards out, one touch out of the feet, and just lashes it in the corner of the net. It's a great goal. 19 minutes, Alexander Isak gets sent through. He finishes. It's 4-0. 
Two minutes later, he gets slipped in by Longstaff and finishes well. It's 5-0. Spurs, for that 20 minutes, that's the worst any team has played this season for a 21-minute spell. And I don't know that anybody comes close. We've seen United beaten 7-0. We've seen Bournemouth beaten 9-0. We've seen a whole bunch of other wallopings this season. But I don't think I've seen anybody play as bad for 20 minutes as Spurs were. On the flip side, I'm not sure I've seen many teams play as well as Newcastle for that 20 minutes. They were absolutely outstanding. Aggressive, front-footed, just dominant. Swallowing up Newcastle in mid- or Spurs in midfield. Taking the ball off them and moving the other way en masse and with force. Absolutely tremendous stuff. At halftime, Hugo Lloris apparently has refused to come back out for the second half after an argument with one of his teammates. Now, Hugo Lloris is, of course, the Tottenham captain. And for the club captain to refuse to come back out, uh, that will likely signal the end of his career. I think it has to be over now. They should have replaced him two years ago. He's one of the big weak points in that team now. Four minutes into the second half, Harry Kane did pull one back. All his own work coming in from the left. Good goal, but consolation only. And on 67, Callum Wilson just rammed home Newcastle's dominance. Uh, a really nicely taken goal, but the, the defence was an appalling mess. I don't understand what Spurs were thinking, setting up a back four where Pedro Porro and Ivan Perisic are full-backs. I, I genuinely cannot wrap my head around that. I can't understand a back four with Eric Dyer as a centre-back. That, to me, is self-sabotage. You're asking to lose by setting your team up like that. And there are some reports today that Spurs are strongly considering making yet another change to their manager situation. So, as we know, they sacked Antonio Conte, despite the fact that they sat fourth in the league. Christian Stellini who'd been Conte's assistant at both Juventus, Inter, and now Spurs. I think he was at Siena with him as well. Um, He decided to stay. He took on the job as caretaker manager. And in four games, he has won one, drawn one, and lost two. And one of those losses was an absolute embarrassment against Newcastle. And there's talk now that they're going to sack him and probably give it to Ryan Mason until the end of the season. So that's how the Premier League played out yesterday. Spurs are now fifth. Newcastle up into third. Far better goal difference than United. But United do have a game in hand on them. So we'll see how that plays out. United have a lot of injuries and are not in good form. So we'll see how this plays out. But as the table stands right now, it's Arsenal, five points clear of City, who have two games in hand. Then it's Newcastle, 11 points back. United level on points, but a game in hand on Newcastle. Then a six-point gap to Spurs, who've played a game more than Newcastle, two more than United. Spurs are two points clear of Villa with the same number of games played. Then it's Liverpool in seventh. Game in hand on Villa and Spurs. Then it's Brighton, who are a point behind Liverpool, have two games in hand on Liverpool and three in hand on Spurs, 
and Villa. So don't rule them out for a Europa League spot. Especially with the form Spurs are in. Right now, it would not surprise me if Liverpool and Brighton took the Europa League spots and Villa took the Conference League spot and Spurs ended up in eighth. Would not surprise me at all. Uh, After Brighton, there's a four-point gap to Fulham, then a one-point gap to Brentford, then a five-point gap to Chelsea, then a two-point gap to Crystal Palace. Chelsea have allowed this to happen with their abysmal form, that the relegation-threatened teams have caught them up. Chelsea have no relegation concerns. They'll be fine. But the gap has now closed, and they're looking much more like one of those teams than one of the teams that might do something. Uh, Then it's a three-point gap to West Ham, but they do have a game in hand. Wolves have the same number of games played, sorry, the same number of points as West Ham, but a game more played and a worse goal difference. Wolves are a point clear of Bournemouth. Then it's a four-point gap to Leeds. Now, everybody from Wolves down has played 32 games. It's a four-point gap from Bournemouth to Leeds. Leeds are a point clear of Leicester and Everton. Nottingham Forest are a point behind Leicester and Everton. And then Southampton are three points behind Nottingham Forest, four points behind Everton and Leicester, five points behind Leeds. Nottingham, uh, Southampton look dead and buried at the moment. But these things can change. And if they beat Bournemouth, and let's say they can go and beat Forest and potentially beat Fulham at home, that would be nine points. That would be 33 points. And you just don't know that might be enough this season. Their other three games are very difficult. Away to Newcastle, away to Brighton and home to Liverpool. You wouldn't expect them to take anything from those games. But if it comes to that final day and they need something at home to Liverpool, you wouldn't put it past them, because largely because Liverpool have been awful this season, especially away from home. Right. The other games this weekend were the FA Cup. On Saturday, Manchester City beat Sheffield United 3-0. Riyad Mahrez scored in front of a half-full Wembley, further emphasising my point that this game should have been played at Elland Road. Uh, Not only was it unfair on the fans to have to travel all that far south, there was just no need for it because there wasn't enough tickets sold. Uh, Mahrez scored the first in the penalty spot after Bernardo Silva was fouled. Then he scored on 61 when he was allowed to run from the halfway line into the Sheffield United box, and nobody tried to make a tackle. And then he wrapped up a hat-trick on 66 minutes. Sheffield United had one chance in the game, and Illumin and Joy wasted it before City scored, to be fair. Um, But City never even got out of second gear in this game. This was very, very easy for City. And they were able to rest a number of important players. Really good to see Calvin Phillips. Uh, get some game time. Really, really good to see Phil Foden back on the pitch. But the biggest plus for City, Diaz, Rodri, De Bruyne and Ederson didn't have to kick a ball, didn't have to get off their seats. Uh, Yesterday then, Brighton nil, Manchester United nil in the other semi-final. Nil-nil after extra time. United win 7-6 on penalties. Uh, Absolutely no question, Brighton were the better team through 120 minutes. 
Caicedo and McAllister controlled the middle of the field. Bruno Fernandes was forced off injured. Rashford looked half fit. United did not look good at all. And I do wonder if Brighton had had Evan Ferguson playing, might this have ended a little bit differently. Uh, Danny Welbeck missed a great-headed opportunity. And CISO forced a great save from De Gea. United didn't really force Sanchez into anything that wasn't very comfortable. Uh, but in the penalty shootout, Alexis went first and scored. Casemiro equalised. Pascal Grouse scored. Delo equalised. Undav scored. Sancho equalised. Estupinen scored. Rashford equalised. Sanchez should have saved that one. Dunk scored. Sabitzer equalised. Again, Sanchez has to save that. You get that much of your hand on the ball, you've got to save it. Webster scores. Veghorst scores. Solly March sails his over the bar at an awful penalty. And Victor Lindelof, with maybe the best penalty of the lot, puts it in the top corner. And United are through to the FA Cup final. Uh, Their 21st FA Cup final, which is the joint most of any side level with Arsenal. And they will face Manchester City in a Manchester derby. Um, This is the third time in Manchester United's history that they have reached the final of both the League Cup and FA Cup in the same season. In 1982-83, they got to uh, to both finals. That was under the management of Ron Atkinson. They won the FA Cup and lost the League Cup final that year. Uh, Liverpool beat them in the League Cup final. They beat Brighton, funnily enough, in the FA Cup final. Then, under Sir Alex Ferguson in 1993-94, they got to both finals again. They won the FA Cup and lost the League Cup. The League Cup, they were beaten in the final by Aston Villa. In the FA Cup, they beat Chelsea 4-0. They also won the league that season. So they've never won both cup finals in the same season. In the previous two attempts, they'd lost the League Cup. This year, they won the League Cup, obviously. Uh, I don't know that many people will be marking them down as favourites to beat City, especially considering City are on, on course for the treble, which, you know, United's treble is the one thing that they can kind of load over everybody. And if that disappears if City were to win all three competitions it would be a huge blow to United fans I think I really do think it would be a huge blow to United fans as things stand City have Arsenal at the weekend sorry Arsenal uh, Wednesday night that's that's a game I think they'll win then they go to Fulham again I think they win they play West Ham and Leeds at home they win both of those Then they play Everton away, they win that. They play Chelsea at home, they win that. And then they'll only need two points from the last two games. They go to Brighton, they go to Brentford. They can draw both. They could lose one and win one. I think think they're going to win the league. And I think they'll have the league basically wrapped up after they beat Chelsea. Um, In the FA Cup, the final is on the 3rd of June. So the final game of the Premier League season is the 28th of May. The FA Cup final is the 3rd of June. 
And then the Champions League final will take place the following week on the 10th of June. So they will get a week between those games, which does go in their favour. City are 11 games from history. Now, I think the toughest part of it is going to be Real Madrid in the Champions League. I think Real will beat them. But I do think they'll win the domestic double again. Um, Which, you know, I remember United winning that double in 93-94. And I remember thinking it was an amazing achievement. I'm too young to remember Liverpool winning the double in 86. But I do remember people talking about it and what an incredible achievement it was. United obviously won the double again in 96. They walked the league and they beat Liverpool in the cup final. And again, it was just this awe-inspiring thing that they were able to win both competitions. Then obviously they do the treble in... 88, sorry, 98-99. And and that kind of skews everybody's perception on how impressive a double was. Arsenal had also won a couple of doubles in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, actually, I think it just in the late 90s, I think Arsenal won, uh, was it, what year did Arsenal win the double? Was it 97-98 Arsenal won the double? Was this Wenger's? Yeah, 97-98 is their first um, the first league title under Wenger, and they also win the FA Cup. Uh, they would win the double again, I think, in... Yeah, oh two, 2 They won the double again. So you had... Having it been so special, like, when Spurs did the double and when Liverpool did the double, then United went and did it twice, Arsenal did it twice, and United obviously won the treble as well. And I think that kind of skewed what people understood to be an incredible achievement. As well as that, the Champions League just became more and more prominent. The FA Cup lost a lot of its luster. But winning the the domestic double is a great achievement. City won a domestic treble in 2019 and no one cared. But it was an amazing achievement and no one had done it before and obviously no one's done it since. So... City will be disappointed if they only end up with the league in the FA Cup, but that, that is still a great season. Like It still is a great season. Um, should be a good, good, a good cup final, but again, I expect City to win. Premier League is, is shaping up to be a really interesting run-in. I think that's what we can say there. Uh, right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will jump into uh, Gareth Crooks' Team of the Week and the Gossip. And we'll be done nice and sprightly. That's probably the wrong word there. I'm just going to I'm just going to roll with it. We'll be done soon. I'll see you in a few minutes. Bye bye. The Two Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want 
on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Right, welcome back. So, Garth Crooks, Team of the Week. And as usual, Garth hasn't watched much football. Uh, However, this team isn't actually as bad as many of his normal teams. So he's picked Jordan Pickford in goal, and I don't actually have a problem with it. He made a couple of good saves in the Everton Palace game. Uh, He's picked Castanier because he scored, but he didn't have a particularly good game. Uh, He's picked Mark Wehi. Didn't have a whole lot to do. Everton didn't really threaten at any point, so I'm not sure on that one. And then he's picked Lindelof, which is just a nonsense. The, the two lads playing for Brighton both played better. And the reason he's put them in is because he took the, pen, the winning penalty. Well, both Dunk and Webster took their penalties and both of them scored as well. He said he was going to put Luke Shaw in. After what I thought was a magnificent performance at centre-back in what is becoming a more familiar role. He's played there about four times this season. I'm not sure that's a familiar role. But the two best centre-backs on the pitch were the two lads in Brighton colours, not the two lads playing for United. Um, I think Dunk should have gotten in the team of the week. I don't have a massive issue with Gwehi. His, his passing out from the back was, was really, really good, but um, he didn't have a whole lot of defensive work to do by any stretch. Uh, in midfield, he's gone for Rice because he scored. And he caps it off with Declan Rice has to be worth 80 million of anybody's money. He's not worth 80 million of anyone's money. Someone foolish will pay it, but he's not an 80 million pound player. Uh, He picked Odegaard because he scored. Odegaard spent most of the game trying to find a way out of Romeo Lavia's pocket. He picked Ward Prowse because of a block on Reese Nelson. Lavia was by far the better of Southampton's midfielders. Um, 
He picked Harry Wilson because he scored. He picked Jolington somehow over Isak. Bizarre. He picked Jota. Did get two goals, but you know, let's let's be real here now. Um, his overall performance wasn't fantastic. Was voted man of the match because he scored, but whatever. And then he picked Riyad Mahrez because he scored a hat trick. And, and to be fair, he did play very well. But uh, for me, Isak should have been in that team of the week. Um, I thought he was really good. I thought Ivan Tony had a good game. And if he hadn't had to go off at half time, Carlos Alcaraz would have been an absolute chew in because he was brilliant. Not only did he score one and make one, he also cleared one off the line in the first half. Uh, we'll move on to picking a combined 11 of Arsenal and Manchester City. I don't particularly like either goalkeeper, but Ederson is the better of the two. Uh, right backs, Walker is the nominal starting right back. I know Akanji's played there, but I, I don't like Akanji at all. So Walker or Ben White? Like, let's be honest here, neither are ideal. Walker's probably slightly better defensively because he's got more pace. Um, neither are tremendous defenders. Ben White is better on the ball. I'll go Ben White. Uh, at centre-back, I mean, I this season, Gabriel and Diaz are the two. So I'll just go with them. Um, I do think Saliba will be better than Gabriel, but he's still young. He's still making mistakes. And he is out at the moment with a back injury that David Ornstein reports today. Arsenal fear might keep him out for the rest of the season. Now that will give Arsenal their excuse. Their fans will now have the excuse of, oh, well, Saliba got injured. That's why we didn't win the title. But, I mean, Saliba wouldn't have made much difference against Southampton. Wouldn't have made much difference against Liverpool. Wouldn't have made much difference against West Ham. Rob Holding has not been that bad. But we're going to go with Diaz and Gabriel. And I'm picking Nathan Aki at left back because he, I think he's been the best left back in the league this season. Uh, in midfield, we will go with De Bruyne, obviously. Uh, there's just no question. And I think even over Odegaard, he gets in. Uh, as the holding midfielder, it's Rodri by Miles. And the left-sided one... I'll go with Odegaard here over Gundogan, even though I do think Gundogan has been really good this season. Odegaard has been outstanding, so we'll we'll go with Odegaard. And in attack, the right side, we're going to go Saka. The left side, I'm going Phil Foden. And the number nine will be Erling Haaland. So I've got seven to four Man City over Arsenal. Uh, We'll move to the gossip then. Arsenal are monitoring Mason Mount's situation at Chelsea and could rival Liverpool for the 24-year-old English midfielder. I don't see where he would fit at Arsenal. He doesn't really fit how they play. He's not taking Xhaka's role because he's not that type of player. And he's not getting in over Odegaard, obviously. Now, maybe Odegaard swaps across and plays that slightly deeper role And he takes where Odegaard has been playing as the more attacking one. And that could work. But I think you'd struggle a little bit defensively with that. The Gunners have also sent scouts to Spain to assess Martin Zubimendi and Robin 
Lenormand, Robin Lenormand. Um, Zubamendi is is really good, and I could see him taking that Granit Xhaka role. Now, I know he traditionally plays more as a number six, but I do think in how Arsenal play, he'd be really good in that left-sided role, though he is right-footed. Now, the issue with him is Uni signed a new contract in October, so he's going to be a very, very expensive player. I think realistically they're going to hold out for 45 to 50 million for him. Lenormand, I think, makes sense because he would be a significant upgrade on Rob Holding as that backup centre-back, the one behind Saliba. But again, I do think he'd be pricey enough. He only signed a new deal last summer. So I'm not sure that those will be cheap buys. But if you can get the two of them for in around 85 to 90 million, or 80 million even, say, you know, 45 and, and 35 I do think it would be good business. I think I think you would be um, sorting out some problem positions. Paris Saint-Germain are preparing a £133 million bid for Victor Osman. Uh, it's from Football Insider. It's Fraser Fletcher. The guy couldn't lie straight in the bed. An absolute spoofer. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino is the new front runner for the Chelsea job after Julian Nagelsmann dropped out. Roberto Firmino has agreed to join Barcelona when his Liverpool contract expires. I don't believe that to be true, but it would be a good move for Bobby. Liverpool and Tottenham will attempt to sign Evan and Dicker on a free. Uh, that's coming from Peter Rourke, so we can mark that down in the garbage category. The advisors of Chelsea and Croatian midfielder Mateo Kovacic have travelled to London to speak to Manchester City about a transfer with the 28-year-old about to enter the final season of his current contract. Tottenham are considering Ruben Amaram and Luis Enrique as candidates to become their next manager. Amaram, I think, would be a great fit. And he knows Pedro Porro really well and will get the best out of him. I think he also will get the best out of their defensive players. I wouldn't be surprised if he went there to see him bring in Inacio to play on the left of a back three with Romero on the right. They'd need someone in the middle. They need a new goalkeeper. I think he'd be fine with the centre midfielders they have because he does like having grafters in there. The wing-backs he'd love, especially especially Destiny Adoji with him arriving in the summer. And then up front, it all depends on what happens with Harry Kane. If he stays, they're in good shape. If he goes, they're going to have to replace him, and that's going to be tough. Uh, Manchester United will look to sell as many as 12 first-team players this summer, including Harry Maguire, David De Gea and Anthony Martial. Uh, they've just offered David De Gea a new contract, so I don't believe that to be true. Harry Maguire will be near impossible to sell. Martial will have people interested, but he just doesn't show up often enough. The Red Devils are considering Georgie Marmar Dashvili as a replacement for David De Gea. Uh, he's at Valencia. If Valencia go down, I think he could be had cheap. Liverpool are willing to let Fabio Carvalho leave on loan next season. Southampton midfielder James Ward-Prowse is attracting interest from Aston Villa and Newcastle. I could see Eddie Howe wanting them, all right. American hedge fund manager Tom Wagner, 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 is close to agreeing a 
takeover of Championship Club Birmingham. He has plans to sell St Andrews and build a new stadium. Well, we'll we won't hold our breath on the new stadium. Americans have not got a good track record of delivering new stadiums. Aston Villa, Newcastle, Liverpool and Spurs all had scouts at the Europa League quarterfinal between Sporting Lisbon and Juventus on Thursday with the visitors, French midfielder Adrian Rabiot and Sporting's Marcus Edwards and Pedro Concalves among the players being assessed. Uh, I would imagine there were a couple of others that were higher on the list than any of those three. Uh, Barcelona and Spain defender Marcus Alonso has no interest in leaving the club, despite interest from Inter Milan. Yeah, for Inter's sake, they better hope he doesn't come, because he's not very good. Uh, Luka Modric has received a contract offer from a Saudi Arabian club that would double his wages next season. Um, He's going to stay at Real. He just is. He's not ready to, to go and retire like Cristiano. Manchester United have stepped up their interest in Victor Osman. Nonsense. Ange Postacoglu is the latest manager to be considered for the Chelsea job. Uh, I don't think he'd consider it in a fit. Julian Nagelsmann is interested in joining Spurs. I said from the start, that's who I think they should go for. I think he makes a lot of sense for them. And I think that club makes sense for him as well. Xabi Alonso has emerged as a strong candidate to be the next West Ham manager. I don't believe that. Paris Saint-Germain will let Lionel Messi leave on a free when his contract expires as the club plans a more sustainable future with fewer star names and a greater emphasis on developing young talent. That that seems strange after how they've conducted themselves the last decade. Newcastle are planning a move for Rafinha. Oh, I could see him fitting well at that team. I could see Rafinha fitting in real well in that Newcastle team. Um, Manchester United and Liverpool are both interested in signing Alexis McAllister. Aston Villa are considering a combined £55 million bid for Kyle Walker and Calvin Phillips. Um, It's Wayne Vesey, so it's definitely spoofing. Ollie Watkins has agreed a new long-term contract at Aston Villa, despite Arsenal... Spurs and Newcastle all expressing interest. I would have doubts about Newcastle. They've got Isak, they've got Wilson. Um, Arsenal, there is talk that that Arteta wants a different type of nine, and he is a different type of nine to what they have, but I still don't see it. And, I mean, Spurs, it would only be if Kane leaves, surely. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Good for Villa to keep him. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang... And N'Golo Kante are summer targets for Barcelona. At least 10 Chelsea players are considering their future. I'd I'd imagine there's more than that. Newcastle are confident they can complete a deal to sign Kieran Tierney this summer. That would be a good signing for them. Brighton are close to agreeing a deal to sign 16-year-old Scotland-born defender Ronan Ferns from Celtic. Um, I really wish they wouldn't. Who is it? That's VC, it's probably garbage. Barcelona have scouted as many as 13 players as they look to sign a right-back this summer. And Chelsea have agreed a deal to sign Diego Moreira on a free when his Benfica contract expires this summer. He's 18, that is the last we'll hear of him. Finally then, 
Uh, PSG are considering selling Neymar. They've been trying to do that for two years and no one wants to buy him. PSG striker Lionel Messi will return to Barcelona, but the club need to raise 88 million through player sales and activate another economic lever in order to re-sign him. That's how far in the hole they are, despite all the messing about they've done the last two years, selling off parts of their future for the short term. AC Milan are looking to make a move for Kyle Walker. I think that move could suit him. Uh, Tottenham striker Harry Kane is on Bayern Munich shortlist. If he does leave, I think that's the best move for him because he'll win a bunch and he'll score for fun. And I think it could extend his career as well. Juventus are planning a move for Kaladu Koulibaly. Alexis McAllister says he will discuss any good offers that might come in for him. But if there aren't any, he will continue at Brighton because he's very happy there. Liverpool have cooled their interest in Josco Gvardio as they believe Red Bull Leipzig's 80 million valuation is too high. It's Peter Rourke, so definitely nonsense. Um, But, you know, it will be very Liverpool, of course. Any money is too much money for Liverpool. Chelsea midfielder Mason Mount is a target for Liverpool, but Man City might also try and sign him. Man City are planning a move for Aaron Hickey. Don't believe that one. Former Spain boss Luis Enrique is out of the running to become the new Chelsea manager. I think he felt disrespected that they didn't just give it to him. when He, he wanted to take it on immediately, and uh, they were you know, wanting to go through the process uh, Chelsea players are excited by the prospect <clears throat> of Maurizio Pochettino becoming the new manager. Arsenal, Chelsea and Liverpool are all interested in Eunice Musa. I-, I would definitely take Eunice Musa. Chelsea have no interest in selling Levi Colwell. They might not have interest in selling, but they might have to sell. Because they're in the dung dif- from a financial position. Robbie Fowler is considering applying to become the new manager of Tranmere. That's an interesting one. And Newcastle, Crystal Palace and Brighton are tracking highly rated Blackburn midfielder Adam Wharton. He's a really, really talented young player. And I could definitely see him playing in the Premier League next season. Now, I do think he'd benefit more from another season in the Championship. Um, but he is definitely going to be a Premier League player within within the next couple of years. Really nice player. That is it, folks. That's all I have for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.